and tell them Fan Run sent you. 730 I get those goosebumps every time, yeah. You come around, yeah. You ease my mind, you make everything feel fine. Worry about those comments. I'm way too numb, yeah. It's way too dumb, yeah. I get those goosebumps every time. I need the high. Here on overtime. Here we go. Hour number two. Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios here at Fan Run Radio. Dawson Wise, Jace Brown with you again. Running a little double duty tonight. No William in the studio, but a great first hour nonetheless. Talk some bracketology, talk some ball baseball, and gave our best bets this hour. Later on, we'll talk about Dak Prescott's upcoming potential payday. We'll talk about the SEC bubble watch for the March Madness tournament, and we'll talk about some quarterbacks potentially quitting on the NFL Combine. Eight six five five four six eight two zero zero. Your number to hop in with us. We'll go to the phones first, and we got Joshy Boy on the line. Joshy, what's up? Hey, Dawson. Hey, Chase. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing well, man. How are you? Good. So, uh, forgive me. I know people are talking Saturday's a really big game between Alabama, 8 p.m. tip-off, probably going to decide the regular season SEC. But tomorrow night's game is uh, very important, if you ask me, before the Alabama game. It is, yeah. I think it uh, it's an opportunity to handle business. First of all, you can't be looking forward to to Saturday. Uh, you got to handle, you know, Auburn coming in is just as big a game in my opinion as well. Um, a, a team that is just near the top of the SEC. And again, when we talk about the one seed journey potentially, uh, Auburn, you know, is one of those four games Tennessee's going to have to win. I think if they want to get a one seed. So for me, I agree with you, Joshy. I think it's uh, just as important. What about you, Chase? What's your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, while I, I do still think that the uh, that the Alabama game is is pretty much for that SEC title or the regular season title at least. This this Auburn one, it feels like it's going to be uh, in my eyes much more compelling for Tennessee. Not only because it's at home, but because again, it's Bruce Pearl coming to town. I mean, this yeah. guy this guy's has so much, I guess. Uh, odd history here, uh, some bad blood sometimes between fans and him, uh, especially with with the show that he puts on uh, on the sidelines. So I, I think this one, it, it should be definitely looked at. I, I know somebody released like a top ten games of the week or something like that, CBS or somebody released yeah. it, and this one was off of that list for some reason And uh, with Tennessee and Bama up at the top. But, I mean, these, these are two, I guess, closer uh rated teams in the ap poll so i'm not sure how you don't take that into account especially it being uh two teams that are in the top three of uh such a competitive conference up top uh but yes this one is definitely going to be one to look out for thankfully uh, i'm going to be in the house tomorrow night yeah me too so uh switching to baseball who do you think is our best hitter on this tennessee team because we so far have a lot of good hitters on Mm -hmm. the team Oh, man. Um, you could pick any number of guys, I think. Yeah, uh, you could pull from about five guys. For me, in terms of just what he's been able to do so far, I think it's Kavaris Tears. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that's too much of a stretch, uh, but I think you could give Amick and Villanueva some, some run as well. For me, yeah. though, I think it's it's KT right now. Yeah, I, I think I might throw Christian Moore in that conversation, that's, too. He, I mean, he's he's like been doing really well. Um, but so far, you know, Amick, he's been putting balls in play a lot, but a lot of them have been, like, directly to a defender for uh, an unfortunate number of those. Um, 
as of right now, I would probably lean to Kavara's tiers just because of how consistent he's been so far. Christian Moore in that uh, in that lane as well. But as a but tonight overall, tonight it's been the it's been the Villeneuve show. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you know, Tears has has put together two hits in his three at bats tonight as well. Um, and you know, this this is a guy that we've been looking at all preseason. And Xander Seacrest called him the X factor for this team, and he's living up to that hype so far. So uh, as of today, Kavara's tears has my vote for that. Yeah. Switching to the NBA, last night's game between the Detroit Pistons and New York Knicks, kind of a critical call at the end. They didn't call yeah. it, but uh, Asir Thompson was uh, driving with the ball and Dante DiVincenzo bumped into him. There was no call between that. Probably a really bad call, but in the NBA, how do you like hold these refs accountable for like bad missed calls? So I've kind of had this opinion for a little bit, and it's not just the NBA. I think it's multiple sports that I think officials should be subject to questioning after games, like like That's to fair. media questioning, mm-hmm. just like the players are, the coaches are, in my opinion, um, or at least have a representative maybe of, of each crew uh, that answers questions about calls like this in games where these calls you know, have an impact on the game. That one certainly right at the end of the game has an impact on the ending of that game. Yeah. I believe Monty Williams actually called it the worst call he's ever seen uh, yeah. in his post-game press yeah. conference. So for me, it's just, you know, make them answer questions. Uh, right now they don't have to answer any questions. You know, they, they put out reports after the game. Well, we missed this call. Well, okay, you know, g- let us ask you that after the game. Let us ask you about some of these calls. So for me, um, hold them accountable that way. Ask them questions yeah. um, and and, uh, and go from there. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's different in the NBA, but I know a lot of uh, NCAA refs uh, and umpires are like part-time guys. These, these are guys that yeah, aren't yeah. dedicating their entire livelihood yeah. to uh, the craft of being an umpire or a referee. So uh, I, I think maybe taking steps towards, you know, making these full-time employees, uh, making this their uh, livelihood, I think you're going to get more consistency out of it. Uh, I, I think people will be less upset because these guys will have studied the game so much that it's really hard to mess up. Uh, and, and you get a really evenly called game regardless of where you're at, uh, what teams are playing at all. So I, I think that's a step that, that these organizations – or not these organizations, but these uh, leagues and, uh, I guess, conferences can go through uh, and make sure that everybody's, you know, playing on, on an even surface for the most part. Yeah. Guys, uh, out the door, I wonder if uh, War Eagle Karen's going to be at the game tomorrow. See ya. I'm not sure. Wait, who is that? I can't remember. I think I know who he's talking about, but or I can't Eagle remember. Cam. I mean, I'm not uh, sure. You know, we'll if, see. If if I see him, I mean, we'll ho- see. Hopefully, Joshy Boy can help me out and we'll point him out to me. I, I might can have some stern words or something. You know, just just to ruffle the feathers a little bit of said War Eagle. But we'll see. Uh, feathers you know. will be ruffled enough in that. Oh, they will. Tomorrow night, I would. They imagine, will. I mean, but. I'm I'm, pr- I'm gonna get there a little bit later. I'm not gonna be there uh, and close to the action. But you know, I'm I'm still gonna. Try try and make my voice heard uh, from wherever I end up in the student section. So uh, it, it should be a lot of fun tomorrow night. I mean, this is going to be – it's like a top 12, top 15 matchup. It, it's going to be electric tomorrow. Yeah, should be a good one. Josh, boy, thanks for your call. As always, we, we always enjoy hearing from you here on a Tuesday night, 865-546-8200. If you want to jump in as we switch gears, we're going back to March Madness. Let's do some SEC bubble watch here to open hour number two. Mm. Um March is right around the corner. Uh, Actually, we enter the month of March this week, um, and the uh, bubble watch is now in full effect. So let's break down the Southeastern Conference from the locks to the should-be-ins to the 
they have some work to do. Um, we'll start with the locks. Who are the locks right now in the Southeastern Conference? So I think it's been bumped up to four. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the inconsistency of Kentucky uh, on the defensive end, but that offense, man, when it's on, it is on. Uh, so I'd probably bump them up to a lock as, as well as Tennessee, who's been there for the most part this year. Auburn has been there for the most part. Uh, and Alabama, again, sort of like Kentucky, they've had a little bit, little bit more success. Uh, I, I think those are – Four locks for me. I know I was borderline putting Florida up there just because of how they've been playing, but uh, I, I think just because of the early struggles and them finally starting to find their footing here, I think that holds them back a little bit. They haven't been just dominant all the way through the year. So I'm going to stick with my four with Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama, and Kentucky so far. Yeah, I think it's anywhere from four to six. I think oh, four yeah. are virtually locked. I think you're right, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, Kentucky, I think are all but in the tournament at this point. I think Florida and, and South Carolina really have played yeah, into a fringe. position where they yeah. could be uh, a lock for the tournament, but we'll keep them out of that for the for the sake of this exercise, and you kind of covered it. All four have been successful. All four have not really hit a misstep so far yet this season, mm -hmm. at least a major misstep that would knock you out of the tournament. Um, so I agree there. Uh, out of that group of locks, in this case four, uh, who are you still unconvinced by in terms of their success come tournament time? I would still say Kentucky. Uh, you know, we, we, we've seen this team go on, uh, you know, a spree that's never been done before at Rupp Arena, losing three straight at Rupp Arena, which has, again, never happened before in the history of Kentucky basketball. So that that being a factor of them not being able to take care of business as consistently as usual at home, uh, that's, that's something I think about uh, pretty often when I think of just where these teams match up especially just in SEC play itself, uh, not not even going as far as losing to Gonzaga at home, who's still sort of a bubble team itself. It's still one of those last four in uh, type of teams. So, uh, And Alabama, they have been consistent at home. Every time we've seen them go at home, they've been putting up a good – it feels like every time it's like a good 110. Like I know they put up 109 against LSU both at home and on the road. Uh, just embarrassing – teams for the most part besides Florida Florida gave them a real good run uh pretty recently so that that's one thing to look out for as well uh but you know uh, Kentucky it we've talked about it it feels like one of those teams that if they just have one bad night it, it can just be it for them uh, we saw it a couple years ago against St. Peter's uh who ended up being a really fun Cinderella team to watch but uh just just because of that how they've been playing at home and just the defense that is non-existent for that program right now I've got Kentucky lined up as my most questionable that's definitely I, th I think I would have had them there last week when they lost to LSU right uh, now that win over Alabama kind of puts them back into the I have some faith in them again mm -hmm. uh, for me it's it's Auburn uh, I don't think they have the resume yet this year. Uh, they don't have a resume to match up to these other three uh, mm -hmm. locked-in teams. Um, they've certainly had their fair share of big wins. They've got a lot of talent, a lot of guys that have been there and done that before. Um, but, you know, some losses to Alabama, to Kentucky, to some others. Obviously a big game coming up tomorrow night here at Food City Center against Tennessee. Um, and so for me it's their, it's their resume. Um, and, you know, the 151st non-conference strength of schedule did not play a great non-conference strength of schedule. The 58th ranked strength of schedule total in the country, Jeez, according to Ken I Palm, not is not a uh, not a great resume for a team that, that would go deep in a tournament, um, at least to me. Um, for me, you know, the t it's not the talent. I think they have the talent to do it for me. It's just they haven't been tested enough, mm -hmm. um, and they don't quite have the resume um, to get to that point. Again, I think – 
the same complaints were made about that 20 was it 2019 Auburn team that went all the way to the final four yeah. so again a team with the talent to do it um, that just uh, to me hasn't really uh, proven mm-hmm. it yet uh, at least in terms of that so that's our locks uh, now we move to the middle kind of fringe tier of teams that you know we've talked about kind of might be locked may not be locked I think we're going to agree here on the teams yeah. in this list who are these should be in the SEC right now Florida should be in South Carolina should be in I'm going to slide Mississippi State in sort of oddly. Okay. I, I was really going through this before uh, we got on here tonight, but uh, I think I would just because they. it feels like so far what they've put in, uh, they, they've gotten over 500. They're two games over 500 in SEC play right now. Uh, they, they've won five straight. They're looking pretty solid at the moment. I'd put them as should be in just because they've gotten themselves off the bubble and I think as high as an eight spot in Tennessee's little side of the bracket in the bracketology we looked at. So yeah. I think those three should be in right now. Yeah, for me, it's Florida and South Carolina. I haven't yeah. elevated Mississippi State to that point yet, yeah. just considering, and we'll talk about them in a minute, what they have left at this point in the year. Yeah. Um, but Florida has been playing their best basketball the last couple of weeks, gave Alabama a serious run in Tuscaloosa um, to, to maybe you know give them a game in that one. Um, and they're a team that has the ratings to be able to do it. You know, Ken Palm, they are 25th in the country. That is perfectly adequate to get into the NCAA tournament. The 13th-ranked offense in terms of offensive efficiency. Uh, they can score from anywhere on the court, and I'll talk about Florida again in a second as well. Uh, the 84th-ranked defense, the 37th strength of schedule in the country, uh, 125th in non-conference. That should be plenty um, to get them into the NCAA tournament. South Carolina, at this point, I think has the resume. Uh, you know, may not have the you know the statistical rankings of, of a deep tournament team, um, but to me, they have established a resume. Wins over mm-hmm. Tennessee, wins over Kentucky, uh, wins over a couple uh, of those high caliber um, teams. At this point, that I, I figure they have worked their way in. They're 48th mm-hmm. in Ken Palm, 61st offense, 45th on defense. That's not great, but again, still well within the 68 uh, top 68 that would make the NCAA tournament. Their strength of schedule is where again they get a bit of a hit. 93rd overall in the country, 333 in non-conference, um, which is yeah, even even worse than Mississippi or excuse me, not Mississippi State uh, than Florida. Yeah. Um, so they've had a great year. They have a lot of talent. They're a hot team. We talked about how they're hot, maybe more than than they're an elite level talented team. Mm-hmm. Um, are they on the same level as some of our locked in teams? I don't think so. Um, so that's why they're kind of in this middle fringe territory. Yeah. They've got some ugly losses, a loss to LSU on the road, uh, a loss to Alabama, really ugly loss to Alabama a few weeks ago. Um, they're still a team that I think could get hot, a team mm-hmm. that if they get there could be dangerous. Um, and so that's why, for me, I have them in the should-be ends. And, and of those, I guess, three teams for you, two teams for me, mm. um, who do you think to be the biggest threat of that group come tournament time? I would say Florida right now. South Carolina, we, we saw them pretty early in – uh, they took it to us here at TBA. Uh, now I don't, I don't think that that'll happen this next time that we see them on the road uh, in Columbia. I think if South Carolina does win, it'll be close, uh, and it probably won't be as low scoring as we saw it here. That that night, Tennessee was uh, not really on on its on its I guess high ball there. Uh, didn't didn't really play well, but Florida has just been playing really good basketball as of late. I'm gonna pull up what they've been doing. Uh, as of late in SEC play, uh, I know they've really started to hit their stride there. Um, you know, it, it just what what they've been doing over recent. It, it's been really fun to see. Um, you know, they took Alabama to the wire there in overtime. Uh, handled business against uh, Vanderbilt. Took it to Georgia and LSU late. Beating 
good good Auburn team. Like you said, their resume is not the greatest in the world right now, uh, but but still a really good Auburn squad. Um, I, I think if they can sort of figure themselves out there as well, uh, I, I think they can get over the cusp. Um, but, yeah, Florida right now, South Carolina sort, sort of taking a little bit of a step back. Still a really good squad sitting at like 22-5 and five right now. Still a very quality record, uh, just not at the level of what I believe in Florida as right now. Yeah, I think it's Florida, and it's Florida by far. Uh, been on fire the last few weeks. You talked about it in SEC play. They can score from anywhere on the court. All five positions yeah. um, can score, and they have about seven players that can realistically go off at any given time. Um, they can produce offensively. They're a matchup nightmare, I think, for a lot of teams. Now, the depth may not be there, um, but, again, just in terms of starting five or starting five, a nightmare for a lot of teams mm-hmm. with their with their offense. Uh, their defense is a concern, I think, on the same level. We talked yeah. about it with Alabama and, and Kentucky uh, and outside the SEC with Baylor. Um, to where you know they have one bad defensive night, you're probably out of the tournament. Yeah. Um, your offense can only do so much, but their offense is so good uh, that the teams that see them in the NCAA tournament are gonna have to respect that um, when they come up against them. Offensive firepower to absolutely make a deep run in the tournament, not even just win a game. I think they could win multiple uh, at this point in the year. Um, but the defensive struggles do give me some pause uh, on them. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, and Williams talked about this before, uh, do they have the star power? Uh, you know, Clayton is excellent for them um, out of the guard spot, but he's not Dalton Connect. He's not Rob Dillingham. He's yeah. not Mark Sears. Um, you know, they don't really have the kind of you know electric number one star guy that tends to carry a team through a tournament run um, and, and be their leader um, when it comes down to it. So that's another question I have: is do they have that star power? Do they have that guy that that's going to carry them through that tournament run and become the kind of the hero of getting them mm. uh, to that point? But it's Florida uh, for me as well so we'll move on to the what could be the last group here in just uh, just a minute but but first we're going to mississippi state mississippi state moves up to safely in the field now you mentioned they're an eight seed in the tennessee part of the region uh, while riding a five game winning streak in conference play Uh, but the bulldogs have a tough road ahead to end the season Uh, home against kentucky tonight uh, at auburn later this week at texas a&m at reed arena next week and then home against the gamecocks of south carolina next week to end the season uh, could the Mississippi State Bulldogs play themselves out of the tournament with their upcoming schedule? I think they can. If if they can't get at least one here, uh, that you really start to question it because that's when you dip below 500 in conference play. Uh, you're really going to have to lean on uh, your play in the conference tournament, and that would put them uh, well into double-digit losses as well. And the committee is not too favorable with teams like that uh, and letting them in unless they've just put together a really nice resume, did really well in uh, their conference tournament. So that that's one thing. I, I think their most gettable, again, out of these two is going to be Texas A&M uh, or South Carolina. And I think they have – a&M at home, I believe. No, they're on the road. They're on the A&M. road at Reed Arena. I, I think that's a place that they can win. We saw freaking Arkansas go down there and win uh, yeah. before they came up here to play Tennessee. So uh, it, it's a winnable game for them. They, they've got South Carolina at home, uh, which which could be an advantage for them. Uh, but if, if they don't take one of those two, they very well could just, you know, uh, be bumped away from my should-be-ins to, you know, like how did you let this happen? Yeah, I, I think they could as well. This is just a brutal – I mean, they got unlucky with their end of the season. Yeah. Um, Kentucky at home is going to be a tough one tonight coming off that big win um, for, for a team that, 
you know, just put up 117 points on Alabama, yeah. uh, Mississippi State can have their work cut out for them defensively tonight. Then you go to the to Auburn, one of the toughest places in college basketball to win. Then you go to Texas A&M, another one of the toughest places in the country to go and win. We know that from experience. Yep. How hard it is to go into Reed Arena and win. And then you close with a South Carolina team that depending on where the seeding falls, might have to win that game as well going into the tournament. Um, that's their most winnable game. Uh, and that's, you know, if that's their most winnable game, um, that's, that's it's a, a tough, tough end of the schedule. Yeah. Uh, they're in a good spot, Ken Palm-wise, 27th in the country, 72nd on offense, uh, but they're known for their defense, which is 11th mm-hmm. in defensive efficiency coming into tonight's game against Kentucky. Uh, they're a really great ranking here for a tournament team to be sitting at. 46th strength of schedule, 166 non-conference. That's about where most of the tournament teams are uh, at this point. Not bad metrics at all for a tournament team. It's yep. about where you expect a tournament team to be, uh, but that last stretch really does not bode well to me. Uh, if they can't at least split, I think you probably have to go at least two and two. Maybe you take the two home mm. games. Uh, maybe you steal one at A&M at Reed Arena next week. Maybe go three and one in these games. Um, it's it's going to be up to their conference tournament run. Yeah. If, the, you know, if you lose three of these games, it's going to be going to going to Nashville and having to win several games to make the tournament. Yeah. Um, and I just don't see Mississippi State, the way they're built to play defense first, uh, I don't see that team as a team that can get hot and make a conference mm. tournament run. Uh, they'd have to play three games in three days, four games in four days, being how you look at it, um, to, to get to that spot where they're able to get back in the tournament. So it's a rough draw, and they're in a tough spot. We'll move now to the last group of teams, and that is the teams with work to do. Who are your teams that still have some work to do to get in the tournament? So I think there's only about two that you can mention here, and that, that's going to be Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Uh, Texas A&M has really taken a downturn here. Uh, got blown out up here on Saturday. Took a really rough loss at home to a really not great Arkansas squad. Um, and it, it feels like since they beat Tennessee the first time, it's just been sort of like – uh, what happened? You know, th- this this team looks so good against Tennessee. Was great on the on the on the rebounding aspect. Shot the lights out for like it felt like the first time this year. Uh, and since then, it's just been pitiful from them. Uh, so you know that that's a team that's really gonna have to step it up with only four regular season games left. Otherwise, they're gonna be left in the dust. Um, and another one in, in Ole Miss. Uh, th- this team is just not what people thought it was at the start of the year. We talked about it l- uh, last night uh, with just how poor their start of the season was. Of course, they started 13-0, and got a decent win against Memphis. But beyond that, they, their first SEC game was against Tennessee where they came up here and got thumped pretty good with a Tennessee squad still trying to figure out their identity, what they were supposed to be. Um, and that that's a big thing. And they haven't done great in SEC play. They've got a couple decent wins. I think they beat Florida earlier this year. Um, beyond that, there's not really a marquee thing that stands out about this squad. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's really rough to put a, a needle on where they're at. Uh, but th- th- this is not a team that I-, I see at this point making a push for it. Yeah, I-, I agree. I'll start with Ole Miss here. They're right on the edge uh, in-, in terms of getting being in or being out. Their resume is not what A&M's is at this point in the year, um, and they don't have a favorable schedule either. Uh, coming up, Alabama coming up at home in Oxford for them is not mm-hmm. a great test. Um, and when I we talked about these two teams the other day, um, we said pretty much that both teams would have to win out. Um, that includes a win against the other um, at this point. But you, you basically have to win all of your games. And I just don't see Ole Miss the way they're playing right now as a team that can do that. Uh, 74th in Ken Palm, 41st on offense, 133rd on the defensive side of the basketball. 
not a tournament team by by yeah. the metrics. Just straight up not a tournament team. Seventy um, fourth, obviously outside that top sixty eight that you would expect to be the sixty eight teams in the tournament. Obviously some anomalies there, but still, uh, just not a team playing like they deserve to be in March. And they're right on the edge now. They're going to have to win out. They've got some serious work to do. And then for A and M, uh, I think for A and M it's a little bit less stressful. Again, their yeah. resume uh, considerably better in my opinion than Ole Miss. Um, at this point, they're also better in Ken Palm, 57th overall, uh, 56th on offense, 76th on defense, a win over Tennessee, uh, a couple other statement wins over the course of the year. But that week-and-a-half stretch, losing to Arkansas, losing to yeah. Vanderbilt, uh, and a couple others, and then this big loss to Tennessee on Saturday night last weekend uh, put them in a really bad spot. They have gotten cold at the wrong time. You yeah. hear about teams getting hot at the right time. That's what Florida's doing. Well, Texas A&M's gone the other way. Looked yeah. for a while after that Tennessee win, especially at Reed Arena a few weeks back, like they were going to be a definite lock. Like yeah. They were going to be a pretty high seed. And now we're talking about two weeks later, they might not even make the dance to begin with. Yeah, um, a, a team that's just lost their way. Um, that, that was playing very good basketball, especially on the glass on both ends of the floor. We talked about that extensively on here. Um, had you know Wade Taylor, Tyrese Radford shooting the jeans off the basketball for, for most of conference play, and it's just it's gone away for them. They need to figure it out. Um, they've got um, some serious work to do as well with yeah. five games left, including their next one against South Carolina at home, um, and not a just not a great stretch for them, especially going into this last week of the season. Uh, and anything to add on those two teams? No, but I do have an update for baseball. There we go. Heading into or getting to the top of the ninth, Nate Snead has come in to pitch. Uh, he Oof. pitched the eighth inning, and, and uh, he dealt pretty good. At 7-3, Tennessee leads. We saw in the eighth inning, we saw a, a Billy Amick home run, and we also saw Guevara's tears score on a double from Cannon Peebles. Peebles has go. been a guy that hasn't – uh, been too wowing us so far, trying to find his rhythm. Uh, knocked in an RBI double, so maybe that that's a go. jump start for Peebs. Yeah, we'll see. If that's a jump start for him. Again, Falls lead 7-3, headed to the ninth. Sneed, the flamethrower on to close the deal. When we come back, we'll talk about our, a few of the top quarterbacks potentially calling it quits on the combine. Stay with us here on Overtime. Back here on Overtime, keeping on going here with our number two, 865-546-8200, if you want to hop in and join us here on a Tuesday night. And we move now to the NFL Combine, uh, and an interesting decision coming out today. The quarterbacks are not scheduled to throw at the NFL Scouting Combine until Saturday, but it already appears there will be far less star power on the field than teams and the league's broadcast partners had hoped for. USC's Caleb Williams, North Carolina's Drake May, and LSU's Jaden Daniels. For many, the top three available quarterback prospects in the 2024 NFL Draft have all decided to sit out this weekend's throwing drills. A source briefed on the plans confirmed on Tuesday. Is this a missed opportunity for these three quarterbacks? I think it is a little bit. I mean, they, they've all put together uh, a, a good enough film and resume to, you know, where, where it's going to speak for itself. But I, I just find it kind of weird because, I mean, this is the first time we've ever really seen this out of quarterbacks that are, like, capable of going out there and throwing at the NFL Combine. And I mean, again, like you said, these are probably the top three prospects uh, at the quarterback position coming into this year. Uh, so, you know, I, I think you miss an opportunity to throw to some other NFL caliber guys uh, that are also pretty hungry, wanting to work towards getting a draft spot uh, and working away onto a roster. Uh, and you miss
miss out on a chance to really compete here. I mean, these these guys are out here fighting for positions, fighting for money. I mean, you're going out there to make yourself some money, uh, and, and they're missing out on uh, a big-time part of that, in which comes with the quarterback position of throwing the ball. Uh, so I, I think it's kind of weird to step back and not take advantage of this and you know get, get some learning opportunities from these NFL coaches and scouts. Uh, I, I think I think it's just you know what what if you're not going to do that, just don't show up to the combine. Yeah, it is. I mean, the combine is the most widely publicized opportunity for these guys yes. to, to go out there and show what they can do. I mean, we've all seen them play college football, but the combine's a little bit different. I mean, you get the raw athletic you know, drills that we get, the, the raw the raw measurements that we get mm-hmm. um, for, for some of these guys in terms of the 40 and the, and the broad jump and the vertical jump and stats that just let you know more about the player, but then you get to watch them do drills um, and watch how they can fundamentally play the game and it, for scouts and for GMs and for fans of these teams. Um, you know, this is going to be a missed opportunity for them to see these guys go do what they do best, and that's yeah. throw the football. Um, it also, to me, shows how they're going to line up with the guys that are maybe in the next tier down of quarterbacks. You know, you know what separates these guys from them because you get to see them one after another, bang, 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 yeah. and you get to see, you know, oh wow, this guy's really good at this compared to some of the other quarterbacks, or oh, he's really good at you know throwing the the, the middle route, you know, the out routes on the sideline, ten yards down the field, or he's really good throwing inside the numbers. You know, you can compare that with the combine. So for these guys to sit out, you don't get to see that. I mean, for me, a missed opportunity considering what's on the line. We we know that at the very least, Williams and May will be the first two off the board. I think I think that's pretty much a consensus yeah, at this probably. point. Yeah. Um, at, at one and two, uh, at this rate, or, or two and three, or wherever that ends up falling, depends on what the Chicago Bears decide to do with mm-hmm. that first pick. Um, but to me, how will this affect the way the teams look at these guys going going down? You know, are they going to see this as you know a knock on their on their off field? perhaps, um, for not wanting to get on there and compete, get on the field and compete? Yeah. Or, and, and, you know, are they going to see, oh, well, he doesn't have the drive to go and compete. He doesn't yeah. want to compete. Are they going to see that as something uh, that there's the off-the-field portion as well? Uh, we've talked about the cognitive tests on this show before and whether yeah. or not we think those are uh, you know, a legitimate sign of, of whether or not a quarterback is intelligent enough to be on an NFL, an NFL roster. Um, but you have that as well. You, you, know, you have the chances to talk to the media. You have the chances to analyze film. You have the, you know, chances to show you're off the field uh, as well uh, and so again it comes back to how much of a how much of a knock will this be for them to say no nah, I'm good you know yeah. I'm going to sit yeah. out um, and, and when you break it down to Jaden Daniels for me uh, I felt like number one I, I think he's closer to these first two quarterbacks and maybe more people give him credit for um, and I think this was going to be an opportunity for him to show up and prove it um, yeah. and say you know what I'm the best quarterback in the draft I'm the most talented guy in the draft. I think he could have had an opportunity to do that, um, or at least you know, make a run at showing that, hey, you know, why why do you guys have me third, fourth, fifth in quarterbacks when I'm you know this much better? Um, and so for him, I think this is the biggest missed opportunity. For the first two, we know they're going to be the first two off the board. Yeah. It's a consensus. But Daniels, his stock's been kind of all over the place. I've seen him going as the third quarterback. I've seen him going as the fifth quarterback um, behind Nixon and Penix. So. Uh, I think he had a big opportunity to separate himself from the guys in yeah. that second tier uh, and make it a lot closer. Um, and so we'll see how this affects his stock going forward uh, as well. Teams want to see these players compete. Uh, the focus for many will be on who is not there, um, but teams will turn their attention to who is, including Bo Nix from Oregon, Michael Penix Jr. from Washington, and J.J. McCarthy, the national championship quarterback for Michigan and more. Um, so for, for those guys, how big an opportunity is it for them 
um, that are going to show up and throw. I mean, it's huge. Like you said, I mean, teams really want to see you go out there uh, and put on a show, show show what you got, and you know, uh, show. I get going back to it, just showcasing uh, all the skills that you have. I mean, Jaden Daniels put on a like historic year uh, from the college football perspective, and he's not going out there uh, showing that he can translate that over to the NFL. So I think that's a big missed opportunity because, uh, again, going out there, you're, you're throwing against these guys. Again, you're, you're going out there to prove yourself, boost your stock, uh, make some more money, uh, and, and end up with a team that wants you there. Uh, so I, I think it's an opportunity missed there. Um, and you know, you, you can go out there and make a statement like, like you've been hitting exactly. on. I mean, th- this is exactly, uh, where you want to play your, or to showcase your best attributes, uh, whether that be on the field or off the field, uh, your athleticism, everything about your game is analyzed here and not taking advantage of that, finding out your weaknesses and strengths. Even if you know that you're going to go number one or two overall, I, th- I think it's just a really lacks or laps in judgment for yourself uh I, I think you're not taking advantage of what's an opportunity that not many people get to take advantage of and again going back you get to talk to these NFL scouts NFL uh coaches get coached up before you land anywhere uh pique some interest in anybody I, I think that's another big thing uh so I mean not taking advantage of and doing everything that you can while you're there uh, it's really a waste of time, in my opinion. Yeah, it's massive. I mean, because now you have even more spotlight on you if you're Nick's, Penix, uh, um, McCarthy. Yeah. Even further down than that, Joe Milton, who we'll talk about yeah. in just a minute. You have even more of that spotlight. Now those other guys aren't going to be there, so the focus is on you. Um, they can make an impression on franchises now. They can be the only guys there that are competing, um, that, that have a chance to raise their draft stock. Uh, and, again, it goes back to off the field. I think this is a chance for them to prove their character, prove their desire to be a competitor, a guy that always wants to go out every opportunity he has and prove that he is the best at what he does. Um, and by showing up, I think they're doing that. And what is a big opportunity I think gets even bigger now that those guys are deciding to, to skip out on the yep. combine. Um, and teams now can zero in a little bit. You know, they're not going to have to look at Williams or May or Daniels. Now they can focus on this maybe second tier, mm-hmm. um, especially those teams that sit you know, in the teens right now in the draft that maybe had thought about moving up. Um, now they, make, they can zero in and say, okay, maybe we'll stay where we're at. We like what we see from Bo Nix. We like what we see from J.J. McCarthy, that we feel comfortable drafting him at 15 instead of giving up a lot and moving up in the draft. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you had pressure before. I mean, there's more pressure on him now, but it's also a, a bigger opportunity, I think, for those guys that are deciding – to throw uh, as well um, and out of those remaining top guys who has the most to prove this weekend I think in my opinion I would have to go with J.J. McCarthy of all of them you know uh, we saw him go out there go 15-0 and this year perfect season at Michigan go win a national title uh, but you know this, this was sort of the Blake Corum show for the most part over these last couple years uh, Michigan was a run he- run first offense and run heavy offense at that uh, threw it when they needed to and were successful there uh, but nothing really wowed you too much I mean he got it done he, he played at a high level uh, but compared to some of these other guys, he didn't get as many reps throwing the ball as as these other guys. Like Bo Nix was throwing the ball all the time. Michael Penix was also doing the same thing for Washington. So uh, I, I think he can go out there and make a statement, uh, you know, uh, build his stock out there pretty easy, especially if he's as touted and wanted as some of these teams might say uh, here in the first round. There's a chance that we see six 
quarterbacks taken in this first round, which is absolutely crazy uh, to think about. So, I mean, if, if he can go out there and show off what he can do uh, and may, may, and prove himself correct uh, with, with probably how he feels about himself being a top-tier quarterback, uh, I, I think he has the most to prove, and I think he's willing to prove it. Yeah, for me it's J.J. McCarthy as well. Uh, coming from a run-first, run-heavy offense in Michigan, I think there's a lot of skepticism, um, for myself included, about right. how well he can he throw the football. You know, if he's in a system where maybe they don't run the ball as much, maybe he's going to have to be trusted to make more of the throws, lead the offense, be the leading source of production. How will he be able to do that? Um, I think he has a great opportunity to go out there and prove some people wrong and prove that he can be that guy that walks into a, a more you know fast-paced passing offense and can get the job done. Um, you um, Is there a throwing prowess there? I mean, we know he's a good quarterback. We know he can hit his spots. But can he do it at an NFL level? Can he do it at an elite level that you can trust him to jump into one of those systems uh, and be the franchise guy? Uh, Bo Nix is up there for me as well. Uh, I, I, great athletic ability. Um, just doesn't seem to have the buzz that some of these other guys do, including mm. Michael Penix. I think yeah. Michael Penix has more buzz than him right now. This is a chance for him to kind of take that back um, and say, you know, hey, guys, I'm still here. Uh, I'm still on the board, uh, and I'm still you know, just as good a quarterback as, as any of these guys. Show off that athletic ability. He's got a great arm. Show that off as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Show that you can hit your spots um, and show that and elevate yourself to be that next highest QB, to be a little bit higher up in the draft and just remind teams and scouts uh, that you're there. So for me, again, mm. McCarthy uh, and Bo Nix. Another quarterback who is set to throw is Tennessee's Joe Milton III, who is looking to bounce back after a very shaky week at the Senior Bowl with several mistakes. Uh, going to the Combine this weekend, what does Joe Milton need to display later in the week? So I've got three things. One being mobility, which we know he's got. Two, decision-making, which we know sometimes he doesn't have. Uh, and number three, accuracy. Same thing with the decision-making. For the, for the mobility part, mainly because he's going to be one of the older guys in this draft. I know there's a couple guys. McCarthy's up there. Nix is up there. Penix is up there as well. Uh, and, and Milton's right in that crowd. So uh, going to be a little bit of, bit of an older uh, group of guys going into the league, a little bit more mature uh, and I guess more seasoned before heading up there. So uh, th I think that's something to take into account. Uh, see if he still has his legs. I, th I think he will. I, th I think he's got plenty of mobility left in him, uh, and I think the size to go along with it will uh, work out just fine in his favor for that. Uh, Decision-making, by far the number one thing in my book, only because we saw some bonehead plays out of him over his tenure at Tennessee. Now, granted, he made up for it in, with some big-time plays for us, uh, but, man, do, do those bad ones stick out more than the good ones, I'll, I'll say. So uh, I, I think that's one thing that he, he can work on and probably has, uh, and I think that's something that he can showcase here in the Combine this upcoming week, as well as the accuracy. There, there were times where we saw him overthrow and then underthrow and then you know completely hit somebody right on the money uh, on any given day. I, I think if he can get that cleaned up, he can really make a statement for himself uh, to go along with the natural given arm talent that everybody knows and was raving about preseason where, oh, he's throwing a ball 90 yards with ease and throwing an orange over the practice field, hitting the, hitting the fence from, I guess, the training facility. Those are all fine and dandy, but, uh, you know, you, you really got to put it together and show that you're – an NFL caliber quarterback, you can't go out there uh, and not be able to hit somebody on the money in this league. Because, I mean, if not, I mean, there's plenty of cornerbacks in this league that'll be 
chomping at the bit to get a, to get an interception from you if, if you can overthrow or underthrow right. him all the time. So uh, I, th- I think if he can do those three things at a high level at this combine, uh, he can make a name for himself. Maybe push himself, uh, I guess, higher up in day two, which whereas is where I'd probably throw him at right now. Uh, yeah, I agree. I have two things. Number one for me is the raw athletic ability. Um, just that they already know you have, but go show it off. I mean, it's an opportunity right. to you know kind of wow everybody a little bit. Yeah. The scouts are going to be wowed by the the big the big arm, the big deep ball, the big high arcing deep ball that goes seventy yards. So do that, show that off. Uh, you have a platform now to do it, um, but show them that you can move around. Show them that you can extend plays. So we talked about the mm-hmm. importance of you know guys that become franchise quarterbacks is because of their ability to extend plays, go off script. Show them you can do that. Tuck it and run. Um, do things like that. Show off, you know, the, the raw things that you can't teach: yeah. speed, strength, agility, things like that, uh, that will wow them and raise your draft stock. And then for me, I have a written as football IQ. I think decision making is another yeah. good way to put it. Um, you got to show improvement in reading defenses. Uh, I mean, it was something he struggled with here at Tennessee. Um, it's the biggest knock on his game coming out of the college level. You got to show at least some room to improve on that. Um, to give coaches, to give GMs, to give scouts a reason um, to advocate to draft you. Um, so you got to do that. At least be coachable in that regard. You know, be willing to improve on that um, and show your football IQ and share that with the scouts and show that it's getting. Um, fixed anything to add on on Joe Milton uh you know you you go back to the decision making part once again I mean we we, we saw it roll over into the senior bowl too uh for, for a recency uh bias for that so uh you know the last thing he has on film is that uh is that senior bowl and that awful interception over the middle which again we talked about it, it was probably why we didn't throw over the middle too much uh with him at Tennessee so if he can improve on those things, I, again, he might move up in day two a little bit. But, uh, you know, he, he's left a lot to question for himself here. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see how he does. We'll see how the rest of the quarterbacks do this weekend at the Combine. We're going to hit a break. When we come back, we'll wrap up hour number two with should Dak Prescott get a payday in Dallas. Stay with us here on Overtime. Back here on Overtime, wrapping up this Tuesday night edition of the show. Thank you so much for joining us for it's been a bit of a unique ride tonight for both of us, but yeah. it's been great nonetheless. Great conversations all night long, and we'll wrap it up here talking about Dak Prescott. The Dallas Cowboys, quote, absolutely want to get a contract extension done with quarterback Dak Prescott. Cowboys executive vice president Stephen Jones said Tuesday during a news conference at the NFL Combine. Our whole thing with Dak is him being a Cowboy, Jones said. That's all that's on our mind. Prescott threw for 4,516 yards and 36 touchdowns against nine interceptions last season, his eighth season with Dallas. Uh, the team went 12-5 and five and lost in the wild card round of the Green Bay Packers. Prescott, age 30, signed a four-year, $160 million contract with the Cowboys in 2021. Jones said Tuesday the organization had not thought about life without Prescott. He also discussed the team's mentality ahead of next season. However, the Cowboys have made the playoffs in each of the last three seasons but have not advanced past the divisional round. So, does Dak Prescott deserve a payday? You know, I, th- I think he does, but, again, we were talking in the break. I don't think he deserves the amount of money he's probably going to get out of this thing. I mean, he's been consistent enough with uh, the great tools that he's had surrounding him uh, to get to the playoffs, but hasn't made noise in the playoffs. I mean, this is a five-time Super Bowl uh, champion organization and hasn't been back in 
damn near 30 years at this point, yeah, something like back that. Back in the 21st so, century. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they haven't been back since texting was around. Like, <laughs> like that, that's that's not a, a thing that you want to hear about uh, when you think about the Dallas Cowboys, unless you just hate them like I do. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think he does deserve it. I think he's done well enough to uh, put himself up on a pedestal, per se, uh, and be like, yeah, I think I deserve some money. Now, with with all like the record breaking contracts that we've seen, he's gonna get way more money than he deserves. Uh, but you know, overall, he's done well with what he's got around him. Uh, and I, I think he can continue keeping them at this level. I wouldn't say up, up like take a step forward from that, but he's he's good enough for a payday. Yeah, yeah, I think it's still probably yes, and I don't think it's as much as I would have said maybe last year. Um, right. Just the continued lack of postseason success. Uh, but he's continued to be an MVP candidate, continues to lead the league in passing stats, uh, be at the top caliber of NFL quarterbacks. So for that reason, yeah, I think he probably does deserve the payday. Um, he's helped Dallas get back to the postseason three years in a row now and be a top caliber team in the NFL. I thought this last year uh, was their best unit by far. I thought it was one mm-hmm. of Dak's best years by far in Dallas um, to this point. Um, and with much of that core coming back next year, um, I think it probably is going to be safe um, to lock him down. Um, but I'm with you. I don't think he deserves uh, quite that much. Uh, it's yeah. a bit of a hefty payday, um, <laughs> over $50 million um, that would be on that contract in, in the neighborhood of four years, more than $50 million per year. That's Mahomes' money yeah. um, uh, on that terms. And I think if, if he had more postseason success, then, yeah, you could argue he, he returned that money. I'm not fully sold because they haven't been able to get past the divisional round yeah. uh, again. They haven't even been back to the doorstep of the Super Bowl, let yeah. alone back to the with, big game. With the amount of guys that they had on that team last year, too, you're like, how do you not get past exactly. the freaking Packers? The Packers. Like, are you kidding me? Th- this team won nine games this year. Finally figured out on Thanksgiving. It took them that long. They were the reverse Philadelphia Eagles this year. <laughs> like, I don't Another get how it, the Eagles. It, I hate to say it, but, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Like, I don't – with all those guys that you have – uh, and, you know, you, you can afford them because, you know, taxes ain't that high in Texas. And I, you and you still can't get the job done. It's like maybe something else is wrong, you know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think the stats speak for themselves. He's earned the payday in my opinion. But that postseason success does give me some pause. Some believe the Cowboys should let Prescott play out the final year of his deal, which would be this year in 2024. Uh, it would be a $59.5 million cap hit which is massive. Um, it would also allow the Cowboys to see if Dak Prescott can have postseason success before working out another contract extension. Uh, that scenario could mark the beginning of the end, though, for the franchise quarterback yeah. in Dallas. So last thing here real quick, should the Cowboys wait it out or go ahead and lock in Dak Prescott? I say go ahead and lock in. I mean, you, you've kind of seen what his potential is. I'm not sure he's one that's going to lead you to a Super Bowl victory or not. Uh, so, you know, I'd, I'd probably save your money here. Uh, get get him at a at a smaller clip than uh you know the fifty nine and a half million dollars. Uh, it it'll save you some money. Get get you some other assets that you can add on to for your offense or defense, whatever you want to throw it towards. I think that's a good idea. But uh, you know, you, you know what you're getting in Dak Prescott. Uh, now they're and they're willing to pay that much for him. So you know, fine by me. Go ahead and pay him the big bucks and you know come up short once again. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm almost more convinced they should probably wait it out. And I know the cap mm. hit is going to be really it's intense huge. if That's they the do that. Um, but I almost just would almost wait. I mean, do you want to lock him in for four-plus more years if you're only going to get to the divisional round? Um, so, in my opinion, you, you almost wait. Let him play it out. 
Um, and if you get further than that, then say, hey, you know, here's your reward. We're going to extend your contract, and you're our guy. Mm. Um, if you do decide to bring him back and just go ahead and lock it in, um, you're essentially hedging your bet that he's your guy. He's right. going to get you over the over the hump and get you to that big game. Um, and to me, he hasn't shown that he can be that guy quite yet. If he doesn't, I mean, that's going to backfire. I mean, because now you've got a quarterback under contract for four to five years that is just not going to get you to that point. And then by the end of that deal, he'd be 34, 35 years old. Yeah. Um, and so, again, you know, your your value that you could get out of him starts to go down. Yep. Uh, if you wait it out, Dak's confidence takes a hit. Uh, he no longer is fully convinced that he's the guy. He knows that maybe his seat's getting a little bit warm. Mm-hmm. Does that affect how he plays? Does that affect how the team plays? Um, we're not really sure, but that's something else to me uh, to keep in mind uh, when making this decision. Anything to add on that? No, no, I, I think that's a good point. You know, uh, it, it puts the pressure on him for sure. Like, man, if I don't show up and show out this year, then uh, I'm probably getting canned. And, you know, he's he's made himself uh, a resident of Texas. I mean, I, I think he's built a huge sprawl and a big farm out there too. So uh, he's pretty established down there. So he, he's really going to have to – uh, if they do wait out on it, he, he, it's going to be, you know, uh, nut up or shut up time. So th- that, that'd be an intriguing thing. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here on Overtime on a Tuesday night. I want to thank everybody for listening to us, tuning in tonight. We'll be back tomorrow to talk Vols in Auburn, tomorrow night at Food City Center, and some more Vols baseball as well, among some other things. That's going to do it for Jace Brown. I've been Dawson Wise. You've been listening to Overtime here on Fan Run Radio. We'll see you tomorrow.